Awesome, guys. Good morning, everybody. So if you're wondering where half the church is tomorrow, I mean next week, next Sunday, they're out at Red, red uh, Daisies doing the Red Frog thing. Uh, it's just incredible uh, what you guys are doing. So I want to honor you guys and trust that the Holy Spirit will really work through you to bring life in those uh, quite dark places. Um, and then also another challenge going out again this week, if you want to beat my team who won last year in the Men's Amazing Race, be sure to sign up. It's going to be awesome. And then just to... Um, yeah, endorse uh, you guys, Dan and Kendra. I um, think that's going to be a beautiful thing there, that life group. So join them. They've been part of Kidsmen, and their kids have been part of Kidsmen, which I'm quite involved with. And uh, they're just an awesome couple. So I really back you guys, and trust it's going to be a really awesome new venture. I'm Bates. I've uh, been part of a new gen, and now One Hope, for uh, many years. Uh, actually, since we planted 10 years ago, Jen and I were involved. We were away for a bit, and, and we've been back. And it's just a joy to be part of this uh, community. I'm going to pray quickly and then we'll get into this morning. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for your people. Thank you for your presence. Would you be with us here this morning? Help us to truly hear your word and to listen and obey in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. So this morning is going to be a standalone sermon. Uh, it's not linked to any of the series we've been uh, doing or part of. Uh, and next week we'll pick up the DNA series again with week five or six um, and we'll keep going with that for quite a while. So this morning is, um, is standalone. Um, so I wanted to ask a quick, quick question to all of you. Uh, I don't just want to speak, I want you know, to get some interaction. What are the two most certain things in life other than God? Other than God, what are the two most certain things in life? Anyone got a suggestion? No, <laughs> that's not certain. Come on. The sun will rise. That's a good one. That's a very good one. It's not in my list, but it's a good one. Yes. Death. Okay, death is certain. A bit morbid, but it's true. What else? Taxes. taxes. There we go. Death and taxes are certain. In fact, I think it's a famous quote by Franklin or something like that. Anyway, this morning I wanted to add two more to that, to that list, and the sun will rise. That wasn't part of my list, but it's a good one. The other one is sin and suffering. Those are certainly two certainties in life. And so this morning my title is, uh, Where is God when it hurts? Where is God when it hurts? Um, and I just want to acknowledge, start out this morning by acknowledging that this is a very broad topic. There's obviously lots to say, um, and I'm only going to cover a little bit. And stuff that I really feel impressed in my heart to share with us this morning, some truths and hopefully some encouragements this morning. And the part of the reason I wanted to share this is because I know for every single one of us sitting in this room, at some stage in our lives, what I'm going to share will apply to you. It will definitely apply to you. And so I'm hoping these will be little truths and encouragements we can lodge in our hearts and our minds so when the ship of our life is shaking, we can still be firm in Jesus. We can have our feet firmly planted when the storms of life are coming at us as they do and as they will. And then what I definitely also want to specifically do this, this morning is afterwards I want to create a time where we can pray for one another who are going through challenging times. If you're going through tough times at this point, I'd love to make a moment at the end where we can pray for one another and encourage one another. So that's where we're going um, this morning. But to start, I want to start on a rather somber note. So can we all stand to our feet, please, for a moment? <clears throat> and um, we're going to just take a moment to have a moment of silence. Um, we'll be quiet, and uh, the reason I want us to do that is in this moment of silence, I want us just to mourn and to cry out to God. You can close your eyes, and this is what we're going to be crying out for. 
the 110 South Africans whose futures will be forever marred by rape today. The 56 South African families who will lose a family member to murder today. The 10 babies' lives who will hang in the balance as they are abandoned today. Let's just take a moment of silence. Lord, we mourn and we cry out to you for these individuals, for these families, for these babies, and for the myriad of other people who will experience injustice and suffering today. Amen. And grab your seats. Um, I'm definitely going to need hydrating today. <laughs> So I opened the news um, this week, uh, News 24. I must confess I'm a bit of a News 24 um, junkie. And News 24 is South African news, and the top three articles were this. First one was, cops in a shootout with robbers at a jewelry store. Second one was a soldier accused of murder who can't find a lawyer to fight his case. And the third one was, high-level political interference in a legitimate business. And so we don't have to look very far in our nation to see that we have experienced and we are experiencing hardship and suffering. Many injustices are committed in our nation on a daily basis and have been committed in our past, and mostly against the most vulnerable in our society. Many South Africans, and of which we are, know suffering close and personal in our lives. It touches a deep nerve in us. It's very personal and real. And so I think of some of my friends this morning who are going through suffering. Some of you who are sitting in this room this morning, I think of some guys who are suffering with mental illness or struggling to find employment. I think of some who've been victims of crime and of sexual assault. Others who have family members who are very ill and on death's door. Others who have family members who are addicts and who are destroying all the relationships in the family due to their addiction. Others who are experiencing crippling chronic illness. Some who have experienced physical abuse. Others who live with the ramifications of divorce. Some whose children have gone astray and others who are experiencing a relational breakdown with friends and family. There is suffering in the room this morning, and I'm very aware of that. And I know you all are too. And so suffering is a fact of life. If, you, if you're here this morning, um, you're alive, and you're a human, and you're breathing, and you live in our world, you are going to experience some degree of hurt and suffering in your life. Some more than others, and some to varying degrees, but you will experience it. And the fact is, if you're a Christ follower here this morning, suffering is guaranteed to be part of your life because you follow a suffering servant, Jesus. In Philippians 1, verse 29, it says this, For it has been granted to you, that you, if you're a Christ follower, 
It's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. And so for the sake of Christ, if you're a Christ follower this morning and you're pursuing and following him, you will experience suffering. It will vary in what it looks like, but it will happen. And so I think we can all agree this morning that suffering is not pleasant, right? (laughs) It's painful. It's emotional. It's difficult. It's draining, and it will certainly change your life to some degree or another. And so then, if suffering is part of our reality, guaranteed, why is that so? Why is suffering, why is evil part of our reality? And the truth is that we don't actually know. We know some of the causes of suffering, human sin, bad decisions made by others, natural disasters, and these sorts of things. We know some of the causes, we know some of the results of suffering, which are often kind of the refining of our characters, or being able to comfort others when they suffer, or things like that, and various other things. But the truth is that we don't know why suffering and evil are part of our reality. It's a mystery. And it's something that we need to entrust to God as the one who does know, the one who does have good reason for evil and suffering. He's God and we're human. And so some of these things we won't know this side of eternity. And Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, is very helpful in this regard. God says this to us. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so just to say that on this topic it is broad, there is so much to say, and there's so much that has been said and written. There is, it's, it's a common human experience, suffering, and so a lot of people, great minds, great spiritual fathers have written incredible uh, things about this. And uh, there's so much more to investigate in this, and I encourage you to do that. Uh, One of the resources which is incredibly helpful if you want to uh, pursue or or seek a bit more on the topic is uh, bethinking.org. Also just an incredible resource for all sorts of things about defending Christianity, worldviews, all sorts of things. So that's a great place to go. But then also to those who are around you in this community, you can come chat to me afterwards if you'd like people who you know in one hope who could just help and encourage with some resources around suffering. And so that suffering is part of our reality, and, and, and we know that, then the question is, what are we to do about that? What are we to do about that? And hopefully this morning will help a little bit in that regard. So if you feel like you're going through a good time now, and things are okay, and, and suffering's not really on the radar, then you need to be prepared. You need to prepare yourself in God and in the Scriptures, because it's going to come. And I'm not trying to be morbid or anything like that, but that is part of the reality of life. And so the best thing we can do is to prepare. If you're currently in suffering, we need grace. And we need the presence of God to persevere, to endure, and to keep going. And so I'm trusting as we pray this morning for one another, some of his grace will come over us. And if you've just come out of suffering, then we need to reflect. And we need to rejoice. And we need to see what God has been doing through these times of trial. And so with all this in mind, I imagine um, you're probably asking, just like I asked, where is God when it hurts? Where is he in the suffering? Where is he in these times of trial and testing? 
and we're going to look at that this morning. This is a question that uh, my wife and I have been wrestling with for, for quite some time, as in the past few months we've really gone through some tough times, um, some suffering. Uh, Jen, specifically my wife's name is Jen, she's experienced some proper health issues that have been really tough. In fact, that's why she's not here this morning. She's in bed with a terrible throat infection, high fever, can hardly speak uh, or walk. Um, yeah, she's, she's also got this incurable disease called endometriosis, a chronic disease which is really quite crippling on many levels. She's had two operations to uh, try and sort of cure it, and that's helped a little bit. Um, but what it's also meant is that we've struggled to fall pregnant because of endometriosis, and so that's been a, an area of suffering where we've been to doctors and tried all sorts of treatment and so on, and, and nothing has worked. And so these are times that are tough for Jen and I. In fact, sometimes they've been quite consuming, almost all-consuming. And so this has been a question that I've wrestled with and that's been on my heart in the past few months. Where is God when it hurts? And so I want to ask you this morning, have you experienced suffering? Are you going through challenging times? And does it feel unfair? Does it feel unbearable? Relentless? Does it feel like no one sees you in your suffering or no one notices or no one can understand? You sometimes feel helpless or perhaps even hopeless in your suffering. Maybe you're asking yourself these questions. When will the sickness ever end? When will the shame stop being so crippling? When will the injustice committed against me ever be rectified or my relationship with family members or close friends ever be restored? When, oh God, when will I stop being discriminated against for what I look like? Where are you in all this, God? Where are you in the suffering? How do we find, how do I find hope and purpose in suffering? And so for that, I want us to turn to one of the Gospels, the Gospel of Mark. And one day, Jesus is walking along, and um, he's walking through a town in a large crowd, and he stops and has an interaction with a suffering lady, and this gives us some wonderful insights into the encouragement and hope and purpose we can find in suffering with Jesus. Okay, Mark chapter 5. We can follow along with me on the screen. Give you a moment to turn there in your Bibles if you'd like. It's verse 24 to 34. Okay, it's been quite uh, somber <laughs> up to this point. Really hoping we'll find joy here in Jesus and hope in the midst of our hard world. Okay, verse 24. So when Jesus went with him, a large crowd followed and pressed in around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if, if I just touch his cloak, I'll be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. 
He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched me? Verse 31, you see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept on looking around him to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what, she, what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. Trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, how beautiful and intimate is that, hey? Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And so here's a quick summary of the scripture. Jesus is walking along the road in a large crowd. A woman comes up who's been suffering and touches his cloak and she's instantly healed. He stops and he asks and looks around, says, who touched him? The woman confesses and Jesus honors her faith in him. And so here are three encouragements, three truths that I hope will be able to lodge deep in your hearts and minds to bring hope, comfort, help us to persevere in the midst of suffering. The first one is this, that Jesus sees suffering. He encountered suffering when he was here on earth. This is just one incident that we read here in the book of Mark. But if you read the Gospels, you'll see Jesus encountered so many suffering people. He saw terrible suffering here on earth. This, this lady that he encountered would have been suffering on many levels. She'd been bleeding for many years. She would have been dirty. She wouldn't have smelled great. Remember, this is 2,000 years ago. She would have been shamed by an outcast by her family and community. She would have been suffering relationally, financially. She'd spent all she had on the physician. She would have been suffering, suffering physically with the ailment that she had. She was desperate for help. She'd been rejected and abandoned by a community. She'd give, put all her resources into doctors who just couldn't help her. And Jesus encounters this woman in great need, great suffering, and he heals her from the suffering she'd been experiencing for many years. See, Jesus is familiar with suffering. He sits right now at the right hand of God, the person of Jesus, familiar with suffering. He encountered it daily, and he helped this woman in her time of need. And the beautiful truth is that, from the scriptures, that Jesus didn't just help her. He helped many others, and he wants to help us. And he can help us and deliver us, set us free. He can sustain us and comfort us. So where is Jesus? Where is God in our suffering? Well, the answer is he's right there with us. He sees, he notices our suffering and our pain and our hurts. He's right there with us. He never leaves us. He cares deeply, deeply for us. And so Jesus sees suffering. That's the first truth. The second one is he experienced suffering. And this is so, so profound. In fact, this is a truth that sets Christianity apart from every other major faith or world religion. Christianity has the only God who has come down to earth in flesh and experienced suffering. No other faith has that. This is a powerful truth. Jesus didn't just see suffering, but he experienced it in his person. The most agonizing, unjust suffering that anyone has ever experienced. He's the only one who did not deserve to experience suffering, yet he did in the worst kind of way. Isaiah 53 verse 3 says this, he was despised and rejected, talking about Jesus, he was despised and rejected by mankind. Do you ever feel despised and rejected? Jesus had the very same experience. 
He was a man of suffering and familiar with pain. His suffering was completely undeserved. And it was brutal. And it was deep. And it was personal. And it was unfair. Anyone can know the real unfairness of suffering was Jesus. Yet, he chose to come to earth as a man, live the perfect life and be tortured unto death. Tortured unto death, undeservingly. He didn't have to, but he chose to and he wanted to for our sake. He suffered, he experienced suffering for our sake. Oh, thank you, Lord. So we can endure suffering because of him. Because he's right there with us in our suffering. If we are his children, he's been through it. So that we can know him and walk with him through the valley of the shadow of death. If you've ever experienced deep depression or maybe experiencing that now and thought of dying, Jesus is right there with you. There's no depth of agony or helplessness we can experience in this life that he doesn't fully understand. See, Jesus doesn't only notice and see suffering, but he came and experienced it for himself. And this gives us hope. This gives us new perspective. This gives us something to hold on to in our suffering because Jesus is right there with us in our suffering. And so the author of um, Chronicles of Narnia, well-known Christian author, C.S. Lewis, have to quote him in one hope, of course. He once said this, and it's incredibly true of pain and suffering. He said this, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. Suffering is like the megaphone of God into the, into the ears of his children. It's like the megaphone of God into the ears of his children. And you know, sometimes suffering comes as a result of ours or other people's bad decisions. Like when I decide to go and jump into a small mountain pool from a high rock and I get a concussion. That's suffering because of my own bad decisions, you know. And sometimes it just comes because of the broken, sinful world we live in. When Jen sits with chronic pain day in and day out, that's because we live in a broken world after the fall. Or when we are victims of crime or violence, it's as a result of the sin-soaked world that we live in. And I must say, for Jen and I in our past few months experiencing suffering, there's one thing that I can say for sure that it's done in our lives. It's drawn us closer to Jesus, and it's caused us to have to rely on him and depend on him. When we realize how weak we are because of suffering and pain and how feeble our mere hands and thoughts and devices are, we have to reach out to someone greater than ourselves, more powerful, more glorious, stronger, and that's Jesus. That's when we're struggling, we cling to Jesus. You know, sometimes when it's going all right, we kind of can avoid God and do our own things and carry on our own strength. But when we're suffering, hey man, you can't. You have to cling to him. Otherwise, you're not going to make it. And so then the question begs, what is the purpose of suffering? 
What is the purpose of suffering? And I want us to think back to the story of that suffering lady who Jesus came along and healed. And uh, there's many purposes to, the, to, to suffering. I just want to focus on one here, and it's from the story. And so this, this lady's been bleeding, and what did she do? She'd been bleeding, I think it was nine years or eight years, like what did it say? Twelve years. What did she do? She reached out for help. She went to everyone she knew who could potentially help her. Two doctors, I'm sure she tried to go to friends and family. She reached out for help. And, and what do we do when we're in pain or suffering? We reach out for help. Whether it's to others, whether it's to God, whether it's to professionals who might be able to help our situation, whatever it is, we reach out for help. And, and so finally, for this woman, one day, Jesus walked into her town, walked in, with this huge crowd following him. You couldn't mistake, it must have been someone important. It was Jesus walking into her town with this huge crowd surrounding him. And she reached out for help. She pushed her way through that crowd. You can imagine, she was smelly, and she was just full of shame. She probably had something covering her head so that people couldn't identify her. And she pushed through that crowd. She just reached out and said, if I can just touch his garments, I will be healed. And she did. She knew she had tried everything else and nothing had worked. And so she reached out to Jesus for help. She put her trust in him and she relied on him to heal her and to help her. And so one of the primary purposes of suffering is this. It's meant to help us. It's meant to lead us to trust in and rely on Jesus more. It's meant to, suffering is meant to lead us to trust in and rely on Jesus more. And so there are many purposes for our suffering. But one of the key ones, and I'd say maybe even the primary one, is that it's supposed to lead us to trust in and rely on Jesus more. And that's certainly been Jane and Ma's experience as we've walked through some tough times recently. And the wonderful thing about Jesus is he's the one who has the power. And not just the power, but he has the desire to help us, to sustain us, to comfort us, to care for us. Jesus has all of that. And so I want to turn our, uh, us to just turn our attention to the screens for a moment. We're going to watch a testimony uh, from a lady named Tess. She's from a church in New York called Redeemer. And her testimony is being read by another lady. So we'll have a look at that. It's about five minutes or so. My crisis of faith occurred early in adulthood, detached from any significant personal suffering. In my training to be a physician, I'd participated in the care of untold numbers of tragedies, seven-year-olds being thrown from pickup trucks, fatal automobile accidents, 25-year-olds diagnosed with breast cancer, heart attacks on Christmas Day, etc. I had seen a lot, I had treated a lot. And as I wrestled with these challenging circumstances, working through them with my husband Barry, our faith had been tested. God increased our faith such that we trusted him, even when we didn't understand him. And over the next several years, as my understanding of the complexities of human physiology grew, I began to develop more and more amazement that anything in the human body ever went right. How any baby was born without birth defects was a miracle. How we could continue to breathe and digest and fight cancer while sleeping was a marvel. The idea of nature being in a very delicate, very tenuous balance, all by the sheer grace of God, was driven home to me almost on a daily basis. So the idea of pain and suffering occurring and people asking the question, why me, was not part of our narrative. More, the question became, why not me? What did I do to deserve this unmerited string of unbroken blessing? In early 2012, 
My mother was diagnosed with metastatic and recurrent ovarian cancer with a terminal prognosis. We displaced our family of four, pregnant with our third boy, to my parents' house in Arizona to be with her until the end. Three weeks after our arrival, she died and was reunited with our Lord. In the last days of her physical illness, she became increasingly delirious, but remarkably, what she was quoting was scripture. It was so embedded in her heart that when the disease had ravaged her mind and reduced her to incoherent ramblings, what was left was the word of God. As we buried her, my prayer was that the Lord would place his word so deep in my heart so that when my mind was in extremis, I would only be able to speak his words back to him. In August 2012, we welcomed our third boy in three years. Our oldest child turned age three six weeks later. Life was near perfect again. 14 weeks later, on a beautiful and mild November afternoon, I returned from work into the blissful chaos of our home, just when our nanny was waking our baby from his nap. Her screams of terror took several seconds to penetrate my consciousness. I walked into our bedroom knowing exactly what had happened. I knew he had died just before I'd laid eyes on him. My first thought was Job 1:21, The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, followed closely by 1 Thessalonians 5:18, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. All the years of training combined with the incredible power of the Holy Spirit to equip you with exactly what you need when you need it came over me. I was on the phone with my husband at the time. I told him why it had died and he needed to come home immediately. I performed CPR while on speakerphone with 911, but I knew it was just a formality. Policemen and detectives came and went and ruled out a homicide. Then the medical examiner's office arrived to take my baby's body. I refused. I was not giving up on my baby without a fight, or at least an argument with God. I knew what he said about asking and receiving, and not receiving because we don't ask, and the widow who annoys the judge enough to wear him down and grant her request, and faith the size of a mustard seed. For one hour, my husband and I, along with our nanny, prayed for resurrection over our son. Actual physical resurrection like Lazarus. We went to the throne of God, boldly, completely lucid, not grief-stricken, and asked as forthrightly as we could to give back our baby. Not my will, but yours be done. God heard our prayer, and he said no. And I told him, okay, but you're going to have to get us through this because we can't do it ourselves. In the end, the cause of the death was positional asphyxia, or SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome. He wasn't even sick. But the end hasn't been written. The Lord has shown us over and over again how he never intended for us to go through this alone. He gave us himself and he gave us the body of Christ. The morning after Wyatt died, two of our friends showed up without calling to look after our other two children. Our Redeemer Church community mobilised an army of prayer warriors and help warriors. Meals were sent, our families flown in for Nicaragua, Arkansas, Texas and Arizona. People gave up their apartments for our families, rented an apartment down the block, delivered meals to our nanny in Brooklyn, planned and executed the memorial service, printed bulletins, etc. Every single last detail was taken care of in typical type A New Yorker style with precision and excellence and all without our knowledge or consent. And so we were allowed to descend into the very depths of our grief, experience it in all its agony and emerge on the other side. When we emerged, our community had been transformed in unity through suffering, and we were pregnant. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
Tim Keller once said that God gives us what we would have asked for if we knew everything he knows. The idea that the Prince of Heaven would empty himself and become poor to live and dwell among us is humbling. The idea that there is nothing in the human experience that God himself has not suffered, even losing a child, is sustaining. And the idea that in his resurrection, Jesus' scars became his glory is empowering. God will use these scars for his glory as they become our glory. Indeed, the end hasn't been written. Sure. So it's a gut-wrenching testimony, that. Tear-jerking, yet deeply, deeply encouraging. And some of our stories might be similar to that. Nothing in the human experience that Jesus has not experienced. If we knew everything he knows, we would ask for what he gives. He gives and he takes away. And so how do we experience Jesus in our suffering? Jesus has experienced suffering. How do we experience him in our suffering? And this lady Tess so beautifully put it, through his words stored up in our hearts. Just as her mother was dying of cancer, what came from her lips? The word of God, sustaining her even in her delirium. I don't know if I could have responded like this woman at the death of her child, just quoting scripture and being full of courage that Jesus will raise your baby from the dead, but, but God equips us in the moment, and he, he did that for Tess, but it's his words stored up in our hearts. That's how we experience Jesus in our suffering, his truth. We experience him through his presence by the Holy Spirit, knowing that he's with us, knowing that he's for us, knowing that he's very present in our midst, even in this room this morning, by his Spirit. That's how we experience Jesus in our suffering. And the third way, and so beautifully illustrated in that testimony this morning, is through Jesus' hands and feet, the church, his body, his people. That's how we experience Jesus in the midst of suffering. He's right there with us. And so the first two truths to lodge in our hearts are that Jesus sees suffering and that he experienced suffering. The third one and the final one is this, that Jesus will bring an end to suffering. He will bring an end to suffering. I remember when this realization or this kind of, I guess you could call it revelation, really sunk into my heart. My wife and I were driving along in the car somewhere in East Joburg, I can't remember, somewhere there, to think to the airport or something. And as we were driving, I was kind of lost in thought, as you do sometimes as you're driving, reflecting on some of the stuff we had been experiencing, which was quite tough at the time. And I just remember this thing, this thought just settling so deep in my heart that I've never forgotten, I never will. And it was this, that one day it'll all be over. One day it'll all end. Forever. No more pain, no more suffering. Done. Jesus will bring an end to it. And this is our Christian hope, right? We have a hope beyond this life. We have a hope beyond this suffering. We have a hope beyond the pain that we experience and the difficulties and the circumstances we experience. We have a hope beyond it. 
That's our Christian hope. No matter what happens in life and death, one day, if you're a Christ follower, you will dwell with no more pain and suffering. God will wipe away every tear in our eyes. He will, we will dwell with him in perfect unity, perfect peace, per- perfect joy, and perfect love. And I tell you what, that thought when I was driving the car that day has equipped me with the deepest sense of peace and rest ever when it comes to suffering and trials and tribulations in our lives. There's a beautiful scene painted in uh, Revelation 21. So this is after Jesus returns and it's the new heavens and the new earth and this is what it says. Revelation 21, verse 3 to 5. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling is now among the people and he will dwell with them. Oh Lord, we look forward to that day. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Verse 4. He, that's God, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Verse 5, he, will, he, he who was seated on the throne said this, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. One day every tear will be wiped away. Every bit of shame will be gone. Every fear removed, every broken relationship made right, every sickness will be gone, every heartache relieved for those who are with Jesus when he returns one day. Thank you, Lord. He will make all things new. Our temporary lives, 70, maybe 80 years, we will suffer in varying ways and varying degrees, but it will end. And then it will be done forever when we're in the perfect presence of our Father. And that's why you, as if you're a Christ follower here this morning, there's no need to be afraid of death. In fact, you can look forward to it. All the failings and the cripplings and the things of this life which so bother us and hold us back and daunt us will be gone. And it'll be in perfect presence of our Father. What a joy. So Romans 8, 18 has been an incredible encouragement to me and to Jen, and I believe to us this morning. It'll be an encouragement. Here it is. Yet what we suffer now, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. It's nothing compared to the glory. Take our worst days, our deepest depression, our sorest sores. If you compare them to the glory that is to be revealed, they are not minimized. God's not minimizing our pain, but he's saying, oh, nothing compared to what we will experience with him in heaven as Christ followers. And so there's hope for us in our times of suffering because Jesus is right there with us. He sees us, he notices us, he's experienced it in his own body, and one day he will wipe it all away and bring it into it. He is our hope and the purpose in our suffering and in our pains and in our hurts. Where is he? He's right there with us. He will make all things anew. He is our hope and our joy. He is the one who will sustain us and does sustain us in our suffering, in our 
pains and whatever comes to your mind when you think of the hurts and the pain and the suffering you're currently experiencing, he is the one who will help you to endure and to sustain and to cling on to him and to have hope and joy and not just grit our teeth and get through it, but to be able to even sing his praises in those moments. I've been reading or listening to two books recently, one um, by Corrie Ten Boom, also a recommended called The Hiding Place, and she hid Jews in the World War, Second World War and just got extremely, as you can imagine, tortured and persecuted for doing that by the German government. And then another one, brother, a heavenly man by Brother Yun, who just got so persecuted in China for proclaiming the name of Jesus and just how these guys, Corrie and, and Brother Yun, sang God's praises in the midst of the worst kind of suffering on every level we can imagine was a deep encouragement. And they're not these superstar rock stars in the faith. They were ordinary Christ followers who had his word, his presence, and his people. And we have the same. And so we can have hope in our suffering. Jesus has sustained Jen and I in our present suffering. His word has brought us hope. His presence has brought us peace, and his people have shown us love on a deep level. I was chatting to Jen on Friday night as she, as she lay in bed, hardly even able to, to speak. It was just so beautiful because we can know that God is the one sustaining us in this time. He is the one who comforts when there are no answers. He's the one who guides when we don't know what's happening or what's going on. He is our comfort and our joy. He is right there with us in our suffering. He is Jesus, our gracious, gracious King. Can I ask us to stand this morning as we just respond to God, to his word, and to his presence here together?